podcast. We're a pioneer church based in Loughborough in the UK. Our mission is to make disciples to establish heaven on earth. Wonderful. So at the table. We have looked so far at encounter at the table, space at the table, honesty at the table, generosity at the table, friendship at the table, traditions at the table, and today we are looking at hope at the table. Now Hebrews 10:23, some of you may be familiar with this verse. It's a wonderful verse. It says this. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. I love that word, unswervingly. I just want to read um, a few lines from a spoken word written by our very own Emily Darlington. Some of you know that Emily's got a gift around spoken words. And uh, I, I love these lines from one of the spoken words she wrote. Hope is always pressing on always going where God's new thing is growing, being breathed in, being breathed out, even if you know right now you need something of the hope of God, then just even now begin to breathe in and breathe out a little deeper. Being breathed in, being breathed out, bringing the lost in, letting the captives out. Hope is present, hope is future. Hope invites us to imagine new ways and better days and to pray for a blaze to burn the embers of our praise. Hope invites us to press in and to hold on, to hold on unswervingly to the hope we profess. And you know that hope that the Bible tells us to hold on to, it's not a false hope that life will always be easy. It's a real hope that God is faithful, that he is on the throne, and that there's an eternal kingdom that we are part of. And sometimes hope gets muddled up with optimism. And I love this quote from Martin Luther King. He said, optimism is a belief in progress. Optimism is a belief that circumstances are always going to get better and better. Optimism fixes its eyes on what is seen and therefore is on shaky ground. But hope, he said, hope is the conviction that there is another reality, that there is another kingdom And that kingdom exists, and that kingdom has existed through all eternity, and it's doing very well right now, and that kingdom will prevail. And that's hope. You know, if we look at all the the headlines about the future, you know, some people are naturally optimistic, some people are naturally pessimistic, but hope is different, because hope is rooted in reality, and hope is rooted in a person, and his name is Jesus. So how does this hope of another kingdom get expressed at the table? That's the theme for today, hope at the table. The first thing is that hope is found in community. You know, Christian community, it's never best expressed through programs and propaganda, but it is expressed through the sharing of lives, through the sharing of deep conversations, of hopes, of fears, of dreams, of laughter, of tears. And that so often happens at the table. 
One of our five core values as Open Heaven is community because we know, don't we, even though sometimes we get drawn into this way of thinking, but church is not a Sunday meeting and church is not a building. Church is not an institution. Church is people and the relationships between those people. It is community and hope is found in community. You know, Jesus talks way more about the kingdom than he does about the church. Only three times does he use the word church, but every time it talks about the word church is about people. So for example, Matthew 16, I will build my church, says Jesus, and the gates of hell will not prevail. He's not talking about going to Ian, can I borrow some kind of builder's kit because I'm just going to build the church, I'm going to build big walls. He's talking about building people, building the church. In Matthew 18, Again, this is about right relationships. Jesus talks about if he refuses to listen, go tell the church, go tell the people. Church is simply a community of the broken finding family together. Often around a table, we are created for community. Community is to the human spirit what food and water are to the human body. It's part of being human. We need each other. We need to know others, and we need to be deeply known. And there's times where it's so tempting to withdraw from Christian community. Perhaps you felt hurt, you felt disappointed, you've pulled back. Perhaps you felt isolated because of your unique sense of pain or feeling different to others somehow in your suffering. And though suffering itself is universal, every experience of hard times, of pain, of disappointment, of suffering is unique because every person is unique. And so in a sense, suffering is a solitary experience because no one can fully understand the unique contours of your particular battles, your particular pain, your particular disappointment, your particular struggles. In one sense, we have to work through those things alone. No one else can take that away. No one else can transform us through it apart from God. So in a sense, we have to do this journey alone. And yet at the same time, we don't have to become isolated. And we don't have to become lonely as we work through our stuff. That's certainly what Rich and I have found. You know, many people... Uh, you know, wrote us cards after Lauren had died, praying for God's peace and comfort. And one of the things we both noticed is whilst it felt as though peace came directly from God, comfort clearly came through his people. Absolutely, unequivocally came through his people. Our small group. You know, I will be forever grateful for the way that group of people just just gather tight around us. There were times sitting around tables, often it was around tables, where everybody around the table was talking about Lauren and crying. That was so incredibly comforting. Other people whose, whose, whose way of, of giving comfort was just wrapping strong arms around us and feeling so tangibly and physically comforted through that. We are so aware of our need for people, and it can be so tempting when we're working through our pain, our disappointment, our struggle, our disappointment, all, all those things. It can be so tempting to withdraw. 
But I just want to say to you that it's counterintuitive to push into community, but it's absolutely God's plan A for part of our healing. I get the temptation to withdraw, but I want to say to you, resist that with everything you have. Resist it and push in. Being broken, being in pain, being vulnerable leads us closer into Christian community. It's there that we find depth and we find healing. And I think it's the best way to live. And so for me, there's something about community at the table brings hope at the table. You know, church is not meant to be a Sunday thing where you just say, hi, how are you? And the other person puts on a fake smile and says, I'm fine, thank you, how are you? The other person puts on a fake smile and says, yeah, I'm, I'm fine, thank you, how are you? That's not church. Church is us being real together. We connect far more through our vulnerability than we do through parading our strengths. So there's a relational richness to be developed when we walk with each other in our stuff, in our hard times. And the other thing I've noticed, in pain, it's very easy to get offended. It's so easy, partly this unique sense of your own pain and your own suffering and no one can understand. But offense creates relational barriers. I heard Tom Wright speak about the need for forgiveness to flow once again in our churches. And he said this, the high ground of Christian ethics around forgiveness has been replaced with the harsher version of blame culture. We now signal our virtue by being a victim, and we end up shaping our inner world with a hollow self-righteousness. And I totally get how pain can so easily lead to feeling offended. But I just want to say that the higher ground is the ground of forgiveness flowing. Sometimes in what's going on around us in culture, it, it, it somehow feels as though as Christians it's okay to be offended. It's okay to be offended on behalf of others. But that's not the kingdom way. The kingdom way of forgiving 70 times 7. Even if no one's apologized, that we don't have to wait until someone else has made the first move because God has made the first move. Because God has left the glory of heaven to come to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. He made the first move. So we don't need to wait for others to make the first move before in our hearts we can ask for deep reservoirs of supernatural grace and the ability to forgive, the ability to try and have some sense of compassion even on the people who have hurt us. Every time we blame shift or we wait stubbornly for an apology or we get offended on behalf of ourselves or others, it's kind of saying, Jesus, what you did on the cross isn't enough. We won't always agree with one another. No one's 100% right. But we can always forgive. I believe there's no disagreement between two Christians where greater humility still can't make a way. 
We can forgive. We can seek to understand each other, even if we will never agree. I love what I see in John 21, where we see a broken relationship and a broken man restored around a barbecue on the beach. The resurrected Jesus is grilling fish on a fire and says, come and have breakfast. And then three times asks Simon Peter, do you love me? To replace the three times that he denied Jesus. He's reinstated into his calling around a meal. So again, church is a community of the broken finding family together. The biblical definition of family, you know, it's never nuclear family. That's not it. The biblical definition of family is God as father, Jesus as our older brother, and all of us as brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, no matter what background, no matter what status, all of us as brothers and sisters. And that's one of the wonderful things I love about Open Heaven is seeing so many different models of church family. It means those who don't have a nuclear family find family in church. So church is community, that brings us hope. Hope of another kingdom is also expressed because as we eat, we anticipate the future eternal feast. Food and drink are part of the goodness of creation and will be part of God's new creation. I don't know how much you've thought about this. At the beginning of the story of humanity, the first thing God does for us is present us with a menu. You thought about that? Genesis 2, 8 to 9. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And then later on after the flood, Genesis 9, verse 3, he says, everything that lives and moves is food for you. And then at the very end of the story, God sets a perpetual feast. We see in Isaiah 25, 6 to 8, on this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces, will remove the people's disgrace from the earth. The Lord has spoken. If you just think about the feeding of the 5,000 and the turning of water into wine, they are foretastes of the perpetual feast that is to come. There is more at the end of those stories, those miracles, than there was at the beginning. There's abundance. And God incarnate in Jesus eats. Jesus would probably have had about two meals a day, as would have been the custom of the time. His staples would have probably been barley bread, eggs, butter, cheese, fruits, and vegetables, perhaps fish on the Sabbath, and very occasionally meat for a treat on feast days, weddings, and special occasions. And he would have drunk, probably, watered-down wine. That was the kind of staple diet of the day. The risen Christ eats. So it's not just Jesus when he was, you know, doing his 33 years, showing us God as he is and humanity as it can be. The risen Jesus eats. In Luke 24, verses 40 to 43, we read, When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. 
And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of boiled fish. He took it and ate it in their presence. That's tremendous. The risen Christ eats. Eating in the presence of God is part of our future. Food was not left behind at the resurrection. Reference to a future feast are not just metaphors. So whenever we do sit down with our brothers and sisters, our church family, and we eat nice food, we connect with one another, there's laughter, there's conversation. It is, as Martin Young, who spoke at the last church weekend away, it is a bit of the kingdom of heaven coming to earth. Food isn't just fuel. Rich has got a theology of taste buds. Because, you know, God could have just given us and said, right, you just need a little tablet, tastes like cardboard, just take that once a day, and that'd be it. But food is to be received as a gift from God, a central ingredient in our experience of his goodness. It's part of God's good world now and in the age to come. Many of you know Rich and I break bread regularly when we are having meals. And for us, it's anticipating the future, the eternal feast. The Lord's Supper is reminding us of the Lamb's Supper, the great wedding feast. Luke 22, Luke's account of the Last Supper says this. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I'll not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it, gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I want to encourage us in the context of meals to break bread regularly. You know, when we are in pain or life is hard, it really helps to hold on to a wide perspective and a long perspective. Maybe just clock that. You might not feel like things are particularly tough right now, but clock that. When life is hard, hold on to a wide perspective and a long perspective. The wide perspective is this. Across the globe, life is generally much harder than it is for most of us living here. And when we suffer, we connect with the common experience of humanity. That's the wide perspective. Now, the long perspective is that an actual calendar day is coming when Jesus returns and all will be made right. Everything will be put back and renewed. It's an actual calendar day. And that long perspective means however long or short our human life is on earth, we will be with Christ for eternity. First in a place that Jesus called paradise. You remember on the cross, he turns to the thief on, his, thief on his left and says, today you'll be with me in paradise. So something about immediately our spirits go to paradise. And then when Jesus returns, a fully renewed earth with resurrection bodies like his that eat. Most of the Christians in the global church live with a much stronger revelation of heaven and of eternity because life is so unpredictable. Jonathan Edwards, the 18th century theologian, said, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. I quite like that prayer. You know, 
People who live with a strong vision and revelation of heaven, of the person they're going to be in the age to come, live powerful and live free lives here on earth. And then for the ultimate hope that everybody needs, that can get expressed at the table as well. You know, Jesus did much of his mission at meals. Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house for dinner, says Jesus. He didn't run projects. He ate ate meals with people. Meals brings mission into the ordinary. Sharing our life with people makes it so much easier to share our faith. I loved some of Mal's traditions at the table, like the Martin Luther King Day, where you invite a mix of friends to join you and everyone shares their dreams of what's in their heart. The depth of conversation that that must bring must then so easily allow other deep conversations to happen. Or Thanksgiving meals, expressing thanks. I once heard someone say the hardest moment for an atheist is when they feel a profound sense of thankfulness and don't know who to thank. Perhaps Thanksgiving meals could be something. We just invite neighbors, friends in. And and what does it mean to give thanks? What about when a new person or family moves into a house on your street, putting a welcome card through their door and inviting them for a meal? Or if you move house, opening up your home for a housewarming party and getting to know all the people that God has strategically placed around you. Or this Christmas, having neighbours around for Christmas drinks and snacks. We've not been able to do that that easily, have we, in the last couple of years? I went on a women leaders retreat in June, and at the end, someone came up to me and gave me a prophetic word. This is where the pineapples come in. I had a picture of a driveway with pillars, and on top of those pillars were pineapples, which are, I did not know this, a symbol of hospitality. Does anyone else know that? Pineapples are a symbol of hospitality. I believe homes of hospitality is to be part of your church planting strategy. That was interesting. Homes of hospitality are to be part of a church planting strategy. And then just a few days ago, I got this prophetic word emailed to me. The next move of God will be around tables. Well, that got my attention. Seeing as we've been doing this whole series at the table So the next move of God will be around tables, not platforms. It will be around coffee tables, family tables. It is a move that will be centered around partnerships, discipleship, community, identity, presence, and provision. What would happen if we saw our homes as homes of hospitality? That was a new title that we gave our home. For God to move at our table for a new flow of open heaven to be because our doors, our front doors, are perhaps more like saloon doors, in and out and in and out, people coming and going, neighbors coming and going, friends coming and going. Is your home something that God could use to an even greater measure to be a home of hospitality? Some of these pineapples are going to be cut up for us to uh, share towards the end. But I just kind of wanted to say, if you know that, that word has resonated with you. Because actually you know that there's something that God is saying, your home is to be a home of hospitality. Then um, do feel free to take one of these 
actual pineapples home. And maybe, I mean, obviously it will go mouldy eventually, but you could put it somewhere to look at it, or as you eat it over the next few days, allow that sense of conviction, allow that sense of revelation to come to you. So I'm just going to pray and, um, and just ask God just to seal some of the things that he wants to bring to us. God, thank you that you have given each of us a home. All kinds of different sizes and shapes and makeups of people, but Lord, you've given us home. And Lord, we do, we do pray that our home would be used as a place of building community. A place where deep connection happens. A place where something of the kingdom of heaven gets expressed on earth. A place of connection, communion. A place where forgiveness flows. A a place where love and kindness and joy and peace get expressed. And Lord, as we break bread in our homes, that you would give us an even greater revelation of heaven, the long perspective, the eternal perspective. Eternity would be stamped on our eyeballs. And that we would live powerful and free lives because of that. And that, Lord, for those particularly for whom their home is to be a home of hospitality, maybe even the start of a missional community, a place where people are finding Jesus, maybe reading the Bible together, getting discipled. Lord, would you, I pray, would you speak and speak clearly? Lord, would you give strategy? Would you give divine insight? Would you give ideas? I pray that you would highlight who the people of peace are to invite into our homes. That God, that we want to be people who express the kingdom of heaven, not just when we're here on a Sunday, but throughout the week. Let us, Lord, create hope at our tables, I pray.